1: Hey, this is Anton Madley from Peak Financing. And if you want to build better relationships in life, you should be listening to Build Your Network Podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. If you're tired
2: of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell.
0: Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm sitting down with Peak Financing CEO, Anton Matley. He has decades of experience in commercial and investment banking, private equity, and commercial real estate. After graduating from Zurich Business School in Banking and Finance, he held senior management positions at major financial institutions in New York, Tokyo, Hong Kong, and Zurich. During that time, Anton was heading a bank branch, managed cross-border teams, financed and restructured commercial real estate worth several billion US dollars, and oversaw loan portfolios consisting of aircraft and ocean transport vessels. And Anton also directed the structuring of complex cross-border commodity and trade finance transactions for Fortune 500 companies. Guys, it's gonna be such a fun conversation that I'm gonna have with Anton. We're a little bit about how to invest in commercial real estate and things like that when you're unsure of what the economy is gonna do, which is you know, pretty relevant for the time that we live in right now. So can't wait to get into some of this conversation. But first, really quickly, if you like to be a guest on podcasts or you are a podcaster, you like to get good guests, then you're going to want to head over to guestio.com and check out the new software that my team and I put together. Think Cameo, but for podcasters. So if you want to get a hold of people that are difficult to get a hold of, um, you can get over there and pay them directly to be on your show. Or there's an entire free marketplace of people that just are volunteering and saying, Hey, I want to go on more podcasts. Or Hey, I want to book more guests in my podcast. Um, so it's a great place to go over and get connected with other people in your industry, in your niche. Specifically, that's guestio.com, guest... And Anton, thank you so much for joining me on the show today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on, Travis.
0: Yes, sir. So I, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about your background. I know that we're kind of pressed for time today. So I want to make sure that we talk a little bit about, about the investment strategy part. But before we do that, I mean, you've, you've had such a, a compelling, interesting career. And uh, really, it seems like since you were a young age. So let's kind of rewind the clock and talk about you know how you got to that point. Was this something that your that uh, was big in your household growing up? Was it was were, were you the only one that did this? Talk to me about like 12, 13 year old Anton and, and, and what you know fueled you make the decisions um, to put you on the path that you've been on.
1: Yes. Uh, so uh, as a Swiss, right? Uh, obviously, finance is a big part of uh, of Switzerland and. Uh, I've always had an interest in, in business and uh, just uh, started school when, with a finance degree. And right after that, I joined uh, UBS, what is uh, one of the largest uh, investment banks, global investment banks. So at that point, I was not really that focused on what I wanted to do. I was probably more trying to figure out. However, I'm coming from a very entrepreneurial family. So uh, after I was in in banking for for, uh, roughly 15 years, I had the urge to do it all on my own. And that's when I essentially left banking and started my own investment side as well as then our own financing firm.
0: When you say that your parents were entrepreneurial, does that mean that they like own their own businesses or they were always doing side hustles or what, what exactly does that mean? Yes, How did that affect
1: you? I owned their own businesses. My sister owns her own business. So everyone is essentially uh, has their own businesses.
0: So having a job for you was actually kind of out of the norm for what the rest yes, of the family that, was doing.
1: Yes, that, that's correct. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, did, did that have any weight on your decision to try to pursue something on your own, or was that kind of always the plan?
1: Well, let's put it this way it was sometimes very hard for me, right? Because, uh, particularly when you join a very large firm like UBS, which, uh, like uh, uh, Goldman Sachs in the United States, right? So you are exposed to all these, all the benefits, but also these massive corporate structures mm. and I must say I, I, I was struggling throughout my career with that right where you have to follow certain rules you knew that it didn't make sense but you just had to do it because everyone else was doing it uh, so certainly early on I already realized that it was a very good learning ground for me but ultimately I had to jump off that boat yeah got it
0: when you moved over to doing your own business how calculated or careful versus how risky w- what was that time period for you like was it something that you were planning on doing for a long time and you had a ton of savings and you would you know, kind of wet, like, you know, saved up for the winter type of a situation? Or was it more like, I got to get out of here, let's do it and just kind of put them all, put all my eggs in this basket?
1: Yeah, I would say I had a pretty decent war chest to to make that jump. But uh, when you talk to my wife, she probably still felt that I was, uh, <laughs> yeah. it was uh, jumping into the deep water. Uh, yeah, and right. frankly speaking, right, that's the reality when you try new things. Not everything turns out right. And... Even when you think that you have plenty of funding out of your own pockets or third parties, these funds can dry up pretty quickly. So I would certainly say we, we have had a couple of times when we probably felt that we are uh, over our heads. And, but the advantage is every time you do that, you, you learn how to overcome it and you get more confident for, for the future ventures that you go, get into.
0: Sure. So um, let's talk about that then. You, so now you've been doing peak financing now for a long time. And you guys, And correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys basically focus on financing commercial real estate for investors. Is that right?
1: That's correct. Yes. And
0: yes. I, I know I kind of touched on this at the very beginning, but I do want to ask you a few questions on this because obviously, you know, 2021 was a pretty pretty big punch to the gut for a lot of different people in a lot of different markets it seems that the markets have recovered pretty well from that and are you know actually breaking records now which is which is crazy including the housing market itself uh, do you see that there's going to be a big dip in in commercial real estate in in the coming you know year to two years and I, I know that there's been so much so many people that have been getting into that into that space in terms of like syndication and and raising capital to fund deals and, and things like that. Do you see that kind of slowing down at all or is that something that um, uh, that you think is going to continue going forward?
1: Yes, it's really kind of a tale of two cities there. Right. So you have some commercial real estate that struggles massively. Obviously, on top of it, hospitality. Next is retail, then offices to some extent. Uh, Whereas, then on the other side of the coin, multifamily does extremely well. Multifamily uh, has a lot of syndicators in the private space, but also institutional players. They just love multifamily, and particularly during COVID-19, they have realized that they actually perform uh, very well, unexpectedly well, one, one must say. Is there a potential dip? I would say. Early 2021 is, is likely a pretty harsh time for all commercial real estate. I suspect, even for multifamily, it might be a little bit tough uh, for a couple of months. But long term and medium term, I think multifamily is definitely one of the better asset classes. For the others, like hospitality, I think there will be a lot of opportunity buyers that that have the equity ready, like the largest I mentioned before, that yeah. can jump in at and buy a penny uh, on on the dollar and ultimately turn these properties around at a great profit. Do you
0: think that it'll just affect the commercial real estate market and has? Uh, I haven't followed those numbers as closely as the residential. Um, real estate market. But has has there been a similar uptick in the commercial real estate world in terms of uh, property values as there has been in residential?
1: Uh, Certainly, obviously, hospitality and retail and offices, it's the opposite. There you definitely have, have a dip in prices. Industrial, anything logistics, prices have gone up. Uh, not surprisingly, multifamily. there was a brief dip when you had a deal under contract maybe in, in March and April, where you were able to negotiate five to 10 percent off. But these prices are back to where they were before and even higher. So it's not as crazy, definitely as it is on, in the single-family space, yeah. uh, when it comes to prices, but multifamily properties have held up extremely well. If you
0: are if someone's listening to this right now and they're maybe like not they're not an institutional investor, they're not an accredited investor. I know that you have knowledge in a wide array of, of different um, of different sectors and different asset classes. where would you say would be like the the place to start um, if you're starting to invest? Because I know that you do a ton in multifamily, but I know that some other people would recommend index funds and things like that if you're like getting started with your own you know sort of investment portfolio. where 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 would you start if you were going to recommend? To somebody listening to this?
1: Obviously, when, when you already have uh, exposure to, uh, to direct private investments like syndicated multifamily deals and uh, self storage and so on, then I think it's, it's worthwhile to diversify in, into that space. However, it takes time to do that, right? Because you need to learn that market, you need to understand these, these investments, and it's a much less regulated space. Mm -hmm. so i would say it's worthwhile to diversify and certainly put some percentage of your uh, money that you can invest in into that but the rest i think still needs to be diversified in in liquid assets whether it's uh index funds whether it's bonds whatever it might be obviously i personally have a my big chunk is in is in real estate because i'm i'm very comfortable with it but for someone who just starts out it can be a daunting environment and it's very hard to identify good deals from bad deals, good sponsors from bad sponsors mm. so it takes time and I would say just tip your toes into the water until you get more comfortable to increase that percentage of your portfolio.
0: What would be some of the warning signs
1: of a bad a bad syndication a bad operator? Obviously track record uh, is a is a big element so it's important that you interview previous investors with that sponsor. Don't rely on what they claim, right? Everyone has fancy websites. Everyone can come up with, with fancy brochures and uh, private placement memorandums and presentations. Doesn't matter. Talk to past investors. Ask for, for, for records of the past transactions that they have done. But one of the key pieces really is, is ask them what was their true involvement in previous deals A lot of uh, so-called sponsors have only raised money for others, yet they claim that they are big multifamily deal sponsors, when in reality, they only know how to raise money. Yes, they do some due diligence on the side to meet SEC requirements, but in reality, the majority of their effort was money-raising. You don't want to invest with someone who is good at money-raising but not good at acquisition management yeah. and asset management so it's important to really understand that the other one is if someone does it on the side they still have a w2 job and also do uh the indications uh, syndications on the side run right <laughs> just don't do it because it's it's a full-time job it's i know it sounds sexy right everyone talks about it but for the sponsors that are really good they have they run this as a full-time business and that's the ones you want to invest with
0: this episode of the show is brought to you by indeed we are driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all it's to match and match with Preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a seventy-five dollar sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at Indeed.com/travis. Just go to Indeed.com/travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com/travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire you need indeed. Yeah. What, what are some deal terms that you would look at as being, hey, these are really good, solid, attractive deal terms. Like if you're, if you're getting too much more than this, it's probably too good to be true. If you're getting too much less than this, you might not want to invest in that deal.
1: Yes, yeah, so right now, particularly as a new investor, I would invest in a deal that is cash flowing, right? I wouldn't uh, invest uh, brand new to this in a ground up development because it's very hard for you to assess. So I, w- I would focus over and over and over on cash flow and in-place cash flow, not on what they project as sponsors, what is happening next year. But right now, if nothing changes right after you buy the property, what is my cash on cash return? That's what I would focus on. It's not even, you may decide I'm happy with a 5% cash on cash or a 10% cash on cash, that everyone has a different uh, risk uh, profile and has the tolerance of having a lower or higher uh, return. But the key piece is that you understand what the true cash on cash return is right out of the gate without hoping that they can increase rents or reduce costs.
0: And can you define cash on cash return for those listening?
1: Yeah, so that's the return that you would actually earn as an investor on the cash that you have invested in the deal, right? So that's the quarterly, ideally monthly, but in most cases quarterly payment that you are getting from the, from the sponsorship group uh, as a return on, on your capital that you have invested. Got it, got it. Right, so which is different from the total return that you may get once the property is refinanced or sold?
0: Wow. Yeah, sure. Like, Which is a huge reason to invest in, in real estate rather That's than a different asset class, right? Because you're not just getting the yearly return that your money is earning from, you know, rents and things like that. You're getting potentially a future, you know, cash out date.
1: Appreciation benefit, right? Sure. Yes. And you also have some depreciation benefits right out of the mm-hmm. gate. Right? Yeah, for tax purposes. For tax purposes, it's, it's also very attractive, right? And that is one of the reasons why a lot of people are also drawn to it, which is certainly much more attractive compared to just investing in a REIT, right?
0: Yeah, gotcha. So um, since, you, since you brought it up, I'll ask you about it. Talk to me about the difference between a REIT
1: and investing with a
0: syndicator in a multifamily property.
1: Yeah, so, so with a REIT, you essentially buy into, into a fund that has multiple real estate properties in in that portfolio right so you essentially buy your stock the big advantage there is is that it's typically there are exceptions but in most instances it's fully liquid if you want to sell it you buy it today and you want to sell it tomorrow you can sell it tomorrow so it's truly liquid at least from the from the larger reads that that are out there whereas when you invest in a private syndication you have to expect that your money is is locked up for five years plus, sometimes even longer. Right? So it's, it's definitely no longer liquid. The advantage is that you have a physical asset that you know that you're investing in. So you're much closer to, to that investment uh, than where you would be with a REIT. With a REIT, you're essentially similar to, to a stock that you're buying on the market. That's what you invest in.
0: Yeah. So you're mainly just hoping for appreciation of the property in a REIT?
1: Uh, Not necessarily. Uh, A REIT is also paying out uh, uh, regular dividends. Uh, That's what they really also should do. Uh, I would say appreciation is is only also a hope that you have with a REIT. Obviously, if you buy a REIT that has a a lot of distressed assets in there and the prices have already come down, like what has happened with hospitality REITs, then you definitely also uh, bet on an appreciation in, in that underlying price. The big difference is with the read is your price of that REIT share that you're buying. And whenever you monitor that, it's not necessarily reflecting the underlying value, right? Mm-hmm. Similar to a stock, right? So yeah. Amazon might be worth X amount as a, as a corporate value, but that doesn't mean that the stock itself always represents that value at any given day. Mm, yeah, got it. Got it.
0: Well, Anton, is there anything that that you see as a mistake that most people make, especially I'm I'm talking more like beginner investors, like people that are looking at like the people who you help finance. You know what I mean? So if, if somebody's looking at investing with one of these people that you help finance, what what's a common mistake that you see people make to where they, you know, it's one of those mistakes that makes them just not believe in real estate, you know what I mean? Like the, the mistakes where they're just like, man, this is not a good asset class. I should I should have just stuck to my you know, index funds and and just stuck over there. Is there anything, any big like red flags or any big mistakes that you see people make like that?
1: Yeah, I would say it's mostly driven by the term that we now have been hearing over and over, which is formal, right? Fear of missing out. Where Someone is not really doing the due diligence properly. You do not really feel that it's a great deal, but you are just so fearful that you may miss out, that you invest and Mm. then you regret it later,
0: right? So so lack
1: of (laughs) patience. A lack of patience. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think people just kind of underestimate the amount of data that they need in order to be able to make a single investment. You know, like they 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 do twenty hours worth of work looking at one project, and because that's the project that they're focused on, they're somehow convinced themselves that it's a good deal when it's not. Rather than putting in five hours into looking at fifty different projects or different deals, and then. Waiting for the one that is actually
1: the good deal instead of convincing yourself that this one is, right? Yes. So, so, so you actually just made an excellent point, right? When you invest in a REIT, obviously you have analysts out there that are monitoring these REITs and they constantly study and publish reports about that REIT, right? Similar to a stock. So, you essentially have the benefit of, of full-time analysts from different firms constantly analyzing that investment for you in a way, right? And you then they give buy or sell recommendations so you can base your judgment to buy or sell based on those analysts report, whether you're right or not, is a different story, but at least you have that information. In a private syndication, there is none of that, right? So, yeah. so your point is really, great right so you have to be your own investment analyst and even if you're a passive investor you need to spend a considerable amount of time in analyzing these investments
0: yeah i love that um anton i appreciate you coming on the show today man there's one question that i got to ask you because it's the one i ask everybody that comes on the show and i assume from your career that this has been the case for you a time or two in terms of relationships so curious to hear your answer here uh, who you know or what you know, Anton? Which of those two do you find as being more valuable in life and why?
1: Yes, uh, it's definitely who you know, because if you don't know it, you can find the person that knows the answer to it. And uh, no individual has the capacity, brain capacity to you know everything.
0: Yeah, so can you think back through your career? I mean, you, like like we kind of already talked about, you've worked with and for and in conjunction with so many uh, you know, Fortune 50 companies, really, not even 500. And in that time, I'm sure you've had a lot of relationships with a lot of different leaders and and different people that have sourced deals and brought clients to the table and things like that. Can you Can you reach back into the archives and kind of pull out a story of a time where you maybe met somebody who you didn't really think anything of the introduction at first, and then it just kind of ended up turning into... Something that was a huge you know moment or opportunity or you know successful venture or something like that, anything that comes to mind
1: yeah there are uh, there only many of them i mean just when I started out right because i don 't want to talk about the massive success that came later in life, but just early in life, it was really kind of the networking that I did right out of the gate helped me really like i mentioned i i ended up in new york right but i obviously came to new york from switzerland mm-hmm. so it was not like uh, everyone was just hiring people from switzerland in new york so that was all done through networking and essentially i was just networking with various individuals uh, and i never really knew who had when you are young right out of school right you don't understand the dynamics yet and there was uh, one senior manager. It was not a top manager, but a kind of a middle senior manager who, with whom I networked and who was willing to really push my uh, cause ahead. Uh, I never really thought that he, he would be the one who would be the driving force for me to to essentially jumpstart my career with uh, with, with that firm.
0: That's exactly why I asked that question because I I just find that so many people agree that networking and building good relationships with strong people is like a a good idea, but there's just so few people that actually give it the time and attention that it needs because of situations like that. Times where you meet somebody through some random connection and you don't think anything about it. And then all of a sudden, it turns into being like a huge mentor or a business partner or a huge relationship or a friend or something like that. And yes. uh, and I think that it just deserves deserves more of our time and attention to be able to go um, to go out and, and, and look for those things. So,
1: yes, uh, kind of, uh, part of that is really just listen to people, right? Don't judge yeah. them, right? But uh, really get understand them. And then you may may realize that they are uh, actually a very good relationship that you have.
0: Just treating people like the same way that you would want to be treated and implementing that golden rule. I think, yeah, for sure. Just listening and uh, listening actively. And uh, looking for those commonalities and and uh, and you just never know what can come come from those things and that's the thing right, is yeah. it probably won't happen tomorrow, you know what I mean like it, it might happen in twelve years from now you met somebody through some connection, and then in a decade there's some opportunity for you like you just you just don't know that's why that's why relationship building is is one of those just weird things that you just kind of you just gotta trust the process it's not like a trackable it's not like sales you know like it's not a trackable measurable. ROI that you can just, you know, put into your CRM and and know that if you go to this event and talk to these twelve people that you're gonna get X amount of dollars back on your PNL next year. Like you just you're not gonna see that from building relationships, but you might see that your PNL triples in 8 years because of a partnership that you formed at one of those events that you didn't think was going to be worth your time. You know what I mean? So um, it's just always a constant reminder to to prioritize people over everything else. So I appreciate you coming on the show, Anton. Just before before we sign off here, what is a good place where people can go connect with you online?
1: My email address is the easiest to reach me, which is uh, Anton, A-N-T-U-N, peakfinancing.com. But you also can find me on Facebook. I'm very active there. On LinkedIn, I'm very active. So just search my name and uh, I will show up. Perfect.
0: Guys, reach out to Anton. I mean, you get people like this that have uh, have had careers like this uh, on, coming on the show and offering their email address. Like, Take advantage of that. Reach out. Say what's up. Heard. Tell them that you heard about him here on the show. Um, Anton, thanks so much for coming on. This is a really, really fun, interesting conversation that I don't normally get to have here on, on the
1: podcast. So I appreciate you taking yeah. the time today. Uh, uh, once again, thanks for having me on, Travis.
2: That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it.